Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Suited for Good podcast. Uh, you're in for a special treat today. I, uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing Clay Joseski, and he's a, he's a stud. He's a, just a great human being that is, has an incredible story. Uh, he's a light. He walks in the, the room, and he's like, he's just, uh, he's got a, just a huge smile, big heart, and he's just a great guy. And I, I, I loved his story. I loved the, the ownership in his story. Also just overcoming really difficult circumstances and, and owning his life and, and having a great impact on other people's lives. And another exciting part about this one is we're going to start right now as an introduction to his, uh, rapping recording debut that he wrapped right in here in front of me in our, in our new little studio we have. Um, and he's a killer rapper too. So anyway, uh, yeah. So we're going to start with his rap and then we'll jump right into the, uh, interview. So enjoy. Yeah. Shout out to the other side of Academy, baby. Saving lives since 2015. Cause you can get clean. But you gotta change yourself. Let's get it. Out there living strange. Had to switch it up. Big bang, Tosa gang. Now you know what's up. Yeah. Now you know what's up. Now you know what's up. Big bang, Tosa gang. Now you know what's up. Bench to the bridge, find a new way to live. Had to get a grip, waking up sick. Yeah, this is stuff I really don't miss. What I be on is humility trips. I pull up, I pass, and I'm playing the game. Still drop a slip like every other day. Spec big change when you rollin' with clay. Still slay games, that's how we get paid. Ain't no telling how much we gon' save. Ain't no telling how much we gon' make in the way. We say okay, you think Lil John was part of our gang. Gotta give thanks. Joseph, Dave, and the greats. Christmas. They still lobster and steak Extra therapeutic, that's the way that we save I'm a Tosa pioneer and I'm paving the way We out there living strange <laughs> Dude, that's amazing oh, Thanks, VJ Clay Dude, thank you so much for joining me For our Suited for Good podcast um, You know, just a chance to hear your story yeah. So, maybe we can start Where were, where you, where were you born? When? Yeah. Uh, well, BJ, I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to be here on your podcast and, uh, you know, just the great things that Wool and Mills has been able to do uh, for our students um, with the Suited for Good program. You know, I remember never having a suit. I grew up in a middle, like a middle class to lower class family. I'll talk about where I was born, but I just want yeah. to give you a shout out first oh, thanks, uh, because you guys thank deserve you. that. Um, and you give so many people the opportunity to feel like they own the room. And I always say that, like when I wear yeah. a suit, yeah. I feel like I own love the freaking room, dude. Yeah, I walk in, I'm like, what's up? Yeah, so, I love it, man. Uh, you know, I just want to give a shout out to you guys because you guys nice. deserve it. Thank um, you, man. Yeah, so I was born in uh, Mesa, Arizona. Um, I didn't stay there very long. I, I moved here when I was about two years old. Um, you know, and, and my parents both smoked, they both drank, um, never really had a religious background growing up. Um, I would go to church sometimes with my friends and things like that. But, uh, you know, that Red Bull's kicking me right now. So, um, but I would, you know, I would just, uh, I remember probably my earliest childhood memory is not a very good one. I was, uh, you know, sexually abused, uh, by a neighbor, uh, by one of the neighbor kids, um, in an apartment complex, he was much older than me. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I didn't know that that would affect me later on, but it, I think it obviously had some 
uh, traumatic things yeah. that that it did something to me, right? Yeah. Um, How old were you? I was five. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, sucks. But uh, you know the the thing about it too is I was also going through a lot of uh, different things as far as I had a I had a condition called adrenal congenital adrenal hyperplasia. So I w- I, w- I had the bones of a 13 year old at five years old. I was going through puberty at five years old, you oh know, and at that gosh. time, my dad thought I was going to be like the next Yao Ming, right? He, yeah. he put me into sports. I'm playing sports and uh, doing really well. So I was really tall. I've been this tall since like third grade. I'm only five, six right yeah. now. So, uh, but yeah. to think, uh, you know, I was going through all those things that a 12 year old usually goes through at five years old. Oh it was kind of crazy. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, my youngest is eight and yeah, I can't imagine even at five. Like, yeah. how do you even process? And, and the assumption that people would see you and think that you're 13 and expect X, Y, or Z, but you're a five-year-old. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah, and, you know, I, I got picked on a lot. I got in a lot of fights. Uh, and I, I think that some of the fights that I got into was just because, um, you know, I was – had a lot of bottled up emotion that I wasn't really, I didn't, I never really talked about it till I came to the other side Academy. So fortunate to get that weight lifted off of me. Now I use it as a a way to, you know, inspire other people because it's not uncommon. You know, we do retreats at the Academy. We hear so many people's story and it's like the same crap, just a different toilet. And it seems like, you know, 60 to 70% of those people are are, have going through the same thing. So I just use it as a way to relate, you know? Um, but I think my, which is so powerful. Yeah. You know, it's so powerful having you having experienced that and then being open to to talk about it so that other people can feel open to talk about it too. Yeah. That's just powerful, man. Yeah, I th- that's the important part of you use your story as a way to relate to other people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, today at the Other Side Academy, that's why I've stayed for so long is I get addicted to change. I get addicted yeah. to helping other people. That's like my drug today yeah. is, you know, helping other people get to where I'm yeah. at, if not a version of myself, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, so. Wow. So starting out with some really heavy stuff and then. You're you're in Arizona still? No, I had moved to Salt Lake when I was like two, so it was short lived. Oh, okay, so short Arizona. Until, you're, you said that. Sorry. Yeah, short lived. Okay. Um, but uh, you know my my deviance started at a very young age. Um, me and my dad would collect basketball cards. Uh, that was like our thing. We'd go to the card shop, you know, twice a week. And I remember uh, the card shop was on the way home from the bus stop, and I stopped in there by myself one day. And they had this Vince Carter. Remember Vince Carter? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had a Vince Carter rookie card. Oh, it, yeah. It had, like, the halo on it. It had, like, the rays coming off of it. I was like, this is, like, the sweetest card yeah. ever, you yeah. know. And I remember the guy going to, into the back of the card shop, and I stuck that card in my pocket, and I ran out. Mm. And I never got caught for it. So, mm. so I was uh, like, oh, that works. That's that's what's kind of stu- – when I look back and how, I think how about – How old were you when that I was, like, eight or nine. Eight or nine, you know? yeah. Yeah, so – I look back and I'm not doing drugs this time. I'm not, yeah. you know, my parents would let me take a sip off their beer if I went and got yeah. it, but I wasn't interested in trying to get drunk or anything yeah. like that. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that started like that addiction to bad behavior, Sure. you know? Um, Cause you got away with it. And exactly. it was a sweet card. Exactly. So when, when were you born? I was born in 88, 1988, 88. March okay. 22nd. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, you know, lo- looking back, I got it. I, 
I think that I was duplicitous for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. So as long as I was doing what my teachers wanted me to do, as long as I was doing what my parents wanted me to do, playing sports and going through all of that, uh, then I could be like this monster on the side. And so I was like this two-faced kid growing up. And that kept going all the way until I went to college. And, you know, eventually once I came back from college, the cat was out of the bag. They're like, dude, you're, you're messed up. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, um, I did pretty good in school, you know, uh, and that was just to keep like people off of my back. But, um, you know, I got voted most likely to succeed in high school. I got, uh, you know, uh, loudest personality in high school. I was on the student body. I was playing sports. Um, and I was getting really good grades. I was on honor roll. Yeah. Um, so the path that I was, you know, so anybody looking at you is like, this guy's, this kid's got it together. The golden child. This kid's got it together. Yeah. Did you have, did you have siblings? I didn't. I was okay. an only child. I have a half uh-huh. brother, but we haven't really gotten along due to my, my choices and my addiction. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, no siblings. So I grew up kind of an only child. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of. Uh, so, so in high school, so you, you graduate from high school. Graduate high school. And Where'd you go to high school? I went to Murray High. Okay, Murray Shout High Shout out school? to the Spartans. Okay, yeah. nice. <laughs> and then from Murray High, you said you went to college. Where'd you go to college? I went to college. So I went to La Cordon Bleu in Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I, I'll tell you, dude, like – I started drinking and, and smoking weed when I was like 14, just with the, with my friends that I had. Um, I didn't really like smoking weed. Um, but I would, I would drink, uh, on the weekends and, and that started. And then, you know, I started selling liquor out of the, out of the trunk of my car from the, I would buy it, get it, get the neighbor to buy it. And I would sell shots out of the be- trunk of my car at school. So I was doing all these like things that were just like, against what everybody was trying to teach me at the time. Like I knew what was right from wrong, but, um, but you're making money too. making money. I kind of got the hustle a little bit, you know what I mean? In all the wrong ways, right. Selling prime times. You got the hustle though. I mean, and you're paying for college. Are you paying for college? I didn't pay for college. Uh So the, you know, the hustle wasn't that strong, Yeah, but But (laughs) mom put me through, mom put me through college. Uh Uh, and you know, I, I think that that was the main reason why I stayed in college, but Hence the fact that the reason why I stayed in college, I think, was because I didn't want to be a letdown to my parents. I didn't want to have to come back to my parents and, and, you know, face that shame and face that guilt of, like, I disappointed you. Knowing that I was already disappointing myself because by that time I was a full-blown cokehead. I was, yeah, I was, you know, I was doing like mass amounts of cocaine learning and I learned how to sell it in Vegas, how to break it down and sell it in Vegas. Um, you know, I, I already started doing ecstasy and dabbling and all the, everything really besides meth and heroin. And I told myself, I'm like, I'm never going to dabble into meth and heroin. I'm never going to do that and crack. Right. I was like, those are the no, no's. But everything else I can manage is what you're thinking. That's what I was thinking. And I I felt like I was, how did you get into the drugs? I mean, there's the alcohol, right. And you're selling alcohol, but then what, Yeah. why, why drugs? Is it just like, well, what's the difference between it was straight, straight peer pressure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Straight peer pressure, dude. I just wanted to be liked. I wanted to do what everybody else was doing. Um, and it was just recreational, I think, at the time. And, you know, looking back, um, I wish I would have carved my own path. I yeah. wish I would have. Yeah. Uh, I wish I would have, you know, done my own thing and not yeah. let other people influence me so much. And, yeah. um, and unfortunately, I didn't. And so, you know, it was a progressional thing. You know, we were doing Adderall that my buddies had from 
um, you know, have an ADHD. Mm-hmm. And we were doing that on fo- at football games on Friday nights. And I loved the way that it made me feel. I was su- super talkative and personable. And I, and I loved that feeling yeah. of like being able to just like be, I don't know. I felt like Superman. Yeah. And, um, hmm. And so I, I was dabbling, uh, you know, one of my friends had cocaine and I tried cocaine and I loved cocaine. I felt like I was on top of the world trying yeah. that. And it was just like, I think from that point moving forward, I was just willing to try whatever sure. because I liked so much how I felt. But really in hindsight, looking back, I think I had this void that I was trying to fill. And I, I feel like that's the case with a lot of drug addicts and people that are in, in recovery is... You know, you have this void that you try to fill in this hole and you have to learn how to try to fill the void with other things besides substances. So today, you know, I, I, I work out, I, I do uh, sober hip hop. Um, I do different sober things. Sober hip hop? Yeah. Like dancing? No, sober hip hop, like like rapping you're rapping i rap yeah you rap. i know i look like a return missionary but dude, i rap dude so can, I hear so can we hear something no 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. you're um, not willing to get that vulnerable? i'll be i'll be performing at the ogden recovery days this weekend <laughs> really? so yep september 23rd at the ogden amphitheater i'll be performing so uh um, do we gotta hear something, something yeah, do you have huh? a little bit do you or if you don't want to I, i've I never recorded you. so this is intimidating but we could definitely do something at the end of the time if you want yeah yeah for dude, sure i would love to start the podcast with you like well, let's okay. We'll, okay, we, we'll, we'll get there. We can think about that later. We'll okay. get there. So anyway. anyway, I fill this void nowadays with like helping other people, uh, doing, uh, helping other people, going yeah. to the gym, sober hip hop. Like people yeah. have to find ways to fill that void, and yeah. I didn't. I tried so many times to get sober, and nothing ever worked. But you know, I look at college, and I started college with thirty three kids in my class, and only like six of us graduated. So it was really a hard, hard program. But I think the shame and the disappointment that would come from my parents if I, if I quit college way outweighed way more than anything else. Mm. And so I stuck it out. And uh, I did well. Um, it, you did well, even with all this other stuff going on. All the distractions, all the drinking, all the cocaine, in and out of casinos. I wasn't even 21 yet. I was only 19. Yeah. And uh, it was a two-year college. So um, With a full – bachelor's degree no it's an okay. associates in occupational okay. science okay, but right. you know yeah. it's still a pricey degree yeah. you know yeah. um i yeah. had the aspirations to be a chef and yeah i came back uh we had to do a six month uh um internship uh-huh. uh, to to complete the the program um so i came back and i started working for a place here in salt lake called cuisine unlimited it was yeah. a, a catering yeah. company yeah um and i you know i really wish i wouldn't have screwed that job up because uh, i was meeting a lot of cool people i got to cook for a lot of cool people i met jerry seinfeld we catered for Jerry Seinfeld, um, Los Lobos, the band Chicago, Al Green. Wow. Like there was really, really co- a cool experience, and I never experienced anything like that. And uh, you know, 2009. So I graduated in 2008. I ended up staying with the company for about a year and a half. And in 2009, I would say I think every every person in recovery would say that they have like this like the year that was like the hardest year for them. And uh, 2009 was definitely the hardest year for me. Hmm. Um, so my parents divorced in April of 2009. You know, I found out that my my mom was having a relationship with somebody else. And that was kind of devastating. I was mm. still young, right? Yeah. Um, I caught two DUIs in a month for driving drunk. Uh-huh. Um, and then I found two of my friends dead from heroin overdoses. Oh, my god! So my two best friends, I actually, you know, I, I find them in this state. 
and today it's like it's hard to it's hard to talk about sometimes because it it's it's so real and it's so prevalent especially nowadays in this country because we're losing somebody every 13 seconds to overdose and you know it's it's like unfathomable unfathomable what fentanyl is doing in this country because i i look back on my life and thank god i came to the other side academy before fentanyl was even a thing because if fentanyl was out there when i was running and gunning i probably wouldn't be doing this podcast with you wow so so you you found your two friends like you literally found i found my two friends uh you know and the one so my buddy he's well he's not really my buddy i would say my accomplice right his name was tyler uh he had a sister and he had a brother a younger sister and older brother so you know me and ashley had this pact and we were like we're gonna get clean we were gonna start going to aa because i had just caught the two duis and i was like look i need to do something different it was kind of like an eye-opener i was like my life sucks right now i know i'm screwed if i don't get help and uh and so we made this pact to get clean. Um, she had asked me, you know, the night before um, if, if she could borrow $20, not really thinking too much about it. You know what I mean? Um, I give her the $20 um, and then I make this pact to her and I said, look, I'll be here tomorrow at 3 p.m. When I get off work, I'll be here at 3 p.m. I'll pick you up. We'll go to our first AA meeting and then we'll start our like recovery journey. I get to her house. Um, Tyler's still sleeping because he's still like strung out, right? And uh, his sister's room was upstairs. This is the next day, right after work. This is the three, next day, so I go, to, yeah, I go to pick her up at, at three p.m. Um, and I remember going and waking up Tyler because I had knocked on Ashley's door for a little while, and Ashley hadn't answered the door. And I could hear the dog, the beagle Gus, is in the room with her, and I could hear him barking. And so I'm like, this is super weird, you know. And I'm thinking something's really not right. And everything in me wanted to kick in the door, but I knew it wasn't my house. Um, and I, I went downstairs. I woke Tyler up. Tyler went upstairs, um, and he ended up kicking the door down. And I just remember uh, her being, like, hunched over off of the bed, and she was, like, completely purple. Oh. And uh, she had been gone for a long time, but it's just uh, – <sighs> You know, just to have to make that call to her dad and to hear her mom on the other line and to tell him that they lost their their son or their daughter. Like, I look back and I'm like, dude, I wish I, I I'm so thankful that nobody had to make that call to my parents, you know, because Damn. the wretched scream that that uh. that her mom had was it was unbearable, you know, and exactly one month to the day after I found Ashley, I found her brother from a methadone and Xanax overdose. And, you know, it was, I've never really talked about it in detail like I am right now. So it's kind of, it's, it, I've just tried to kind of like compartmentalize it in a sense. And it's just something that you'll never get out of your brain, the, uh. the, the thought of that. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, today I live my life, try to live vicariously through them. And, you know, today I, I have recovery and I never thought that I'd have any type of recovery because I tried so many different freaking programs. I've tr- I've done cats twice in jail. I've done drug court. I've done 30, 60, 90 day programs. I did outpatient programs. And, you know, I remember going to AA and trying to do the, do the AA thing and looking at people who would get that year, that hard metal, that one year coin. And I thought they were like unicorns, dude, because I was because it wasn't like it, it didn't feel achievable. It didn't feel achievable. I was the guy who, who would be like going in and and. They'd be like, 
is anybody in their first meeting or in their first 30 days, uh, do you want to stand up? And I did that for like nine months straight, like in my first 30 days for nine months straight. Yeah. And I just felt so hopeless. And I remember mm-hmm. looking at, you know, all these other people that were getting a year and I was just like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. Why can't I get this? The only sobriety that I had was like six months before coming to the other side Academy was I only had like six months of sobriety and it was because I was locked up. But how many times am I, I'm sober every time I go to jail, but every time that I get out of jail, I'm straight back to the dope dealer's house to pick up dope. So it's not clean and sober is not the answer. Hmm. And I've learned that being at the other side Academy, it's all about whole person change. Uh, incredible. I, thank you for sharing that experience with your yeah. friends. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine yeah. walking in on that. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing to me is just you're, you're an educated, successful, highly functional person. You know what I mean? And you're, you're, you're f- finding this battle that you feel like is insurmountable. So what, so you got your two DUIs and then did that keep that kind of, you kept trying to get clean. You went to the AA after, after you found her. Yeah. So I, I got, I got put into drug court. Sorry. I got off no, the beaten path. No, a it's okay. Bit. No, I, you, you just, um, just share your story. Whatever, yeah. however that goes. I just um, want to hear more. Yeah. So after finding her, um, you know, it was a rough patch here and there. And so, you know, let me remind you, let me go back a little bit. And so by this time, you know, I had got introduced to heroin, you know, so we were doing heroin. I started doing it intravenously and that's about the time that I found her dead. Right. And, uh, and so I, I get put into drug court, you know, but in, while I'm in drug court, um, I'm not staying clean. I'm not doing what they asked me to do. Spice is available at that time and bath salts are available at that time. And so they didn't come up on a drug test. So I'm doing those heavily, but I'm still losing weight. Like I'm doing meth, but from the bath salts. So I'm like 30 pounds lighter. I go to check in with drug court and the judge looks at me. He's like, dude, what is wrong with you? Mm. And so he puts me in cats. It's the first time I ever go to jail for a lengthy time. I always, I, I did What's like cats. So cats is correctional addiction treatment services. So it's okay. a, it's a program that the jail offers at Salt Lake County jail. It's a 90 day program. Um, and you're incarcerated. So I, I waited three months to get into that program. And then I, I did the program for another three months and then I got released. So you're in there for six months. This judge, it wasn't traceable, no. but he's like, dude, you're obviously something yeah. you're doing something. We're putting you in this program. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, and I, you know, I, when he says that I admitted it, you know, I've never been one to like n- try and talk myself out of it or anything like that. You know, I'm, I've always been kind of a, truthful person. And I kind of tell on myself like, yeah. yeah, you know what? I could say that I need help. And at the time I was, I really probably wanted help. I just don't think that going to jail was the, was the answer. Right. Yeah. But who knows? Um, I'm still here and I'm still living and breathing. So that's yeah. what counts. Um, but mm. I, you know, so I get out, uh, of cats, um, within the first 48 hours, I, I, uh, had hit up some people from the cats program that I met in there. So fellow inmates, they're all doing bad. It's the first time I, I do meth for the first time, mm. and it was off to the races. Mm. So Meth um, was the one you swore you'd never do? Meth was, was the one I swore I'd never do, heroin, crack. So you there, know. Were, there were a few that were like, that's not me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And lo and behold, I got into it, yeah. you know. I uh, I started doing meth. I, I, um, I really didn't like it. 
but I just wanted to be accepted, I think. Mm. And so I do that for a little while with these guys. Um, and I end up going back to jail, um, on new, on new charges. Um, and I, I get, I think I get out of, it's kind of a blur, right? When you're yeah. in this, when you're in this yeah. in and out, in and out, sure. in and out. And that's how it went for a long time was just in and out, in and out, in and out. Yeah. So it's hard to say what the next significant thing is, but I think I got out. I tried to stay clean. I ended up relapsing on heroin. I get back on heroin and my dad at the time from my parents splitting up, he had moved out to Mighton, which is uh, out in between Roosevelt and Duchesne. So okay. it's like near the Indian reservation. Yeah. He's like, look, come out to my place, uh, get clean, um, and, uh, get clean off heroin and, uh, get you a job, maybe, you know, try and do something different. But, uh, it didn't matter if I tried to change my address cause wherever I went there, I was, you, you know, mm, and yeah. it didn't matter where I went. Um, you could I, find the connections to give you what you wanted. Exactly. And so I, I just, is it that easy? So is it easy. that easy to find so easy, dude. the connections? Like you, you can see somebody and you're like, that person, that's, that's my guy. Or Definitely. That's, that's my girl. I Definitely. Can... But oh, here's the thing. I think it's, I think it's, what's crazy is when I'm living right and I'm doing the right thing like I am today, uh-huh. that type of stuff doesn't come near me. Interesting. It's like when you're living bad and you're doing the bad thing, yeah. like the bad people come to you. Fi- you you it's find de- you you it's magnetize such a to, trip. That is that is crazy. It's so crazy. And you, so you find the opposite is true too when you're doing good. Absolutely. When you're doing good, good find you. Yeah, I think I still have temptation that, yeah. you know, fa- that I yeah. I face temptation uh, yeah. regularly. But I think it's you know the the skills that I've been able to develop over the last six years of being clean yeah. um, have definitely. Um, given me a, a tool to be able to battle that temptation. I think what you just said is so profound. I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, if there's something I can teach my kids, like that's, that's kind of it. Like good, good begets good, bad finds bad yeah. or, or like bad influences breed more bad influences. Mm-hmm. So you go to your, you go to live with your dad Go to live with my dad, and it was, like, off to the races. Not immediately. Mm-hmm. I get a job in the oil field doing uh-huh. reclamations, making the best money. I mean, it wasn't the greatest money, but it was the best clean money that I'd made up until that point. Um, and so, you know, I'm making semi-sort of decent money, um, and then I meet somebody that's uh, doing meth. And mm-hmm. uh, I get my first check, and I had the bright idea that I was going to come out to Salt Lake and spend my check on meth and go back out there and start selling meth. Um, I lost my job in the oil field shortly after that. It wasn't too long after that I lost my job. Um, and my Were dad, you making money selling meth anyway? So was it like, oh, it was, okay. It was hard. It was hard. But the, the thing that you have to think about is the, the amount that I was getting out here for the price – I could take back out there to the small town and sell it for a lot more. Sure. So, you know, what what I get, I, I, it's hard to explain. So, you know, what I get for 60 bucks, I would make sure. 500 off you, of out mark, there. You'd mark it up. And, exactly. So that's what I mean. So, like, losing your job at the oil field, was it like, well, I'm making better money doing this anyway? Or was it not, not that simple? It wasn't that simple. Um, you know, my, cause my dad's getting fed up. My dad's starting to recognize that I'm losing weight. You know, um, my face is picked at, I'm, I'm like not healthy. I'm staying up late. And he's like, look, man, uh, we have this motor home. We're going to give you this motor home and you can live in the motor home. Um, 
and I was like, okay, cool. So I kind of had my own like sanctuary to be able to do whatever whatever I wanted out there. And, uh, gets to a point where he's like, you can't stay on my property anymore. You got to find somewhere to take your motor home and you got to go. Um, and I think that's really where the wheel started to fall off. Um, not on the motor home, but in my life. Right. Um, and I was, you know, I got to the, to the wrong crowd. Uh, I started, you know, committing burglaries and running up in people's houses. Um, not that we're there. Um, but we were, we were going into people's garages and we were, I was stealing antler, anything. If your stuff wasn't bolted down or locked up, I was, I was going to steal it. And that's just what it was. Um, then take to a pawn shop and sell it. No. How would you, how would you get any money out of it? So, you know, we, there was me and, and three other people that were part of like, I guess you could call it kind of an antique theft ring. Um, we had a fence out here in Salt Lake. So the fence is somebody that you can sell the stolen goods to and somebody that will buy it and knows that it's stolen and doesn't care. Um, and he has people that w- are willing to, that he could distribute it to out here. Um, but it didn't take long before, you know, people started, you know, the cops started to catch on. Um, and, uh, and I get a call from one of my buddies one day, and they're like, hey, dude, the cops are looking for you. Hence, by this time, I'm like, I'm so broken. I'm like so done living this life that I've been mm-hmm. living. I'm living on the Indian Reservation at this point. I have no running water in my motorhome. I have no heat. And I remember I was looking up at the sky, and I'm like, dude, if there's a God, show me. And I've never been religious. I've never been spiritual. Yeah. Never had really any type of, you know, it's hard for me to believe in it until yeah. that moment. And uh, my friends are calling me. My dad's calling me saying, like, hey, the cops have been to my house. They're looking for you. My friends are calling me. They're like, hey, you know, the cops are looking for you. Um, and I and I remember looking up. I was literally going to, like, kill myself. That's that's the lowest of, of my mm-hmm. – of the point that I was at is I, I wanted to just die. Oh, my gosh. And, I, and it was so vivid. I remember the exact time and spot. It's like, if there's a God, show me. Um, and – I remember the cops showing up to my motorhome out in the middle of nowhere, right? And they had gotten word where I was at somehow. And I'm in the back of a cop car, and I'm going to jail on a slew of charges. And I remember thinking, I'm like, there's no God. Like, if there was a God, I wouldn't be in the in the back of a cop car. Mm. And um, mm. I, I sat in jail for, you know, a few months, and I remember looking back on that moment, and and it's just – you know, everybody has God shots. Mm. And that was in my, in my mm. opinion, that was my God shot. Mm. Uh, and a God shot is when God intervenes. Exactly. Divine <laughs> intervention or whatever the powers at bay. Right? Like you look back and you're like, I asked for God to intervene and he sent police officers to. Yeah. He does it intervene. in a weird way. He does it uh, in, a, in a very peculiar way. But yeah. in that moment, that was him saying, Hey, uh, all right, I, I got you. you. And, wow. uh, and so I started going to like religious faith-based classes while I was in jail. I got curious and mm-hmm. I'm going to like LDS 12 step classes. I'm trying to figure out just kind of like what I want to do. And I, I wanted to go to a program and there was a LDS couple inside the jail that was like, Hey, there's this, there's this program out in Salt Lake. It's called victory outreach. Uh, you could go to victory outreach and we could help get you in there. We'll, we'll uh, write a letter to the judge. We'll try and get him, you know, to co-sign this and, I was like, cool. Um, I would love that, you know? And, uh, I remember going to the judge on sentencing and I, I thought I was going to prison for a long time because the other three co defendants that I had, they went to prison and I, and I, 
in my heart, I was like, I'm screwed. I'm so going to prison. co-defendants, were they on, on the same charges as you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the you, other you three people all... that I talked about that we were doing all that dirt with. Yeah. They, so they, they all, you all got busted together. Yep. And they, they got sent off to some pretty harsh. They went to prison. Yeah. And I was, I was looking at going to prison. Like you do a pre-sentencing report yeah. where the, where the APMP comes into the jail and they, they ask you a bunch of questions and. Uh-huh. I had already had a lengthy, you know, in and out jail and, you know, going to jail numerous times. And they're like, we're done. Like, you're going to prison. Like, they recommended me to go to prison. And I remember going before the judge and the judge uh, looked at me and he's like, you know, he, it was like a long pause. It felt like the longest pause in the world. And yeah. he looked at me and he just said, if I see you, I see you in this courtroom again, uh, you're, you're definitely going to go to prison and I'm going to hang you up. But you're going to you're going to plead to these charges. Um, but I'll go ahead and send you out to victory outreach. It's a faith-based program. Right. And at that time I was like, Holy cow, I can't believe he's letting me go. Um, and so I get out, I go to victory outreach. Um, and the, the time that I'm there, you had to pray in the mornings. It was like a, kind of like the other side Academy, you work to provide your own way. And it was a free program. Um, but it was very, there was Bible study during the week. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, um, uh, an hour of prayer. There was, there was different things that went on. Every, uh, yeah. and, and I remember it, we'd have to wake up really early, like four 30 in the morning and we would pray for an hour and they'd play music. There's people talking in tongues and doing, mm -hmm. it was, it was wild. Mm -hmm. And I remember I, I've never been religious up until this point. So I'm just praying and I'm like, I just want to be successful. I'm yeah. like, whatever that looks like, please, yeah. please just make me successful. If it takes speaking in some weird time, like <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. I just got, I just got to get clean. Yeah. Huh. So I, I'm, uh, I'm just praying for that. Uh, I'm, I'm about 20 day, 28 days in the Salt Lake police department comes in and shuts it down, shuts down the whole program. Cause they didn't have proper licensing. There was like nine of us living in a garage with like, uh, oh. yeah. And it was just, it was bad. So the Salt Lake Police Department shuts it down. Oh my They're gosh. still out. They're still around, but the, now they have the licensing and all yeah. that, right? But I'm kicked to the streets, and I got all these charges hanging over my head, and I'm like, if I don't find something, I'm screwed. It's like wow. two days before Christmas, cold outside. Oh my gosh! I'm hanging out you at have AA. No place to. Nope. You have no place to sleep. No place to go. No place to sleep. Um, and I'm and I remember hearing about the other side academy. Luckily, you know, I was out for about a day. I, I had gotten contact with one of my friends and she let me stay at her house for a couple of days. She's like, this is temporary. You're not going to stay here until you find somewhere that you need to go. She was actually in recovery too. And she was trying to help me get scholarshiped into some different places. Cause I didn't have yeah. insurance. I didn't have yeah. money. Um, and, and you know, every, everywhere was coming back. No, they're like, we can't, we, we don't have any, yeah. we don't have any beds. We can't help you. Oh my gosh. I, I can't imagine the desperation or just the like, what do you do? Yeah. yeah. I, I can't imagine. Like, I can't imagine, like, where am I going to sleep? Like, yeah. That's heavy. It was, it was pretty heavy. That's heavy. Yeah. And it's Christmas and uh, everybody's in this like holiday spirit. Yeah. And here I am feeling like a burden to the world, uh, feeling like a burden to them for taking me in. They have kids, you know? And I'm like, uh, I, I just felt so alone inside uh, at that moment. Yeah. And, uh, it's heavy. Yeah. It sucked. But, you know, I'm grateful for everything that I've been through yeah. up until this point. Um, and, you know, she had told me about the Other Side Academy, and I didn't want to go to the Other Side Academy. I'm like, yeah. two years, you're crazy, you're mm. tripping. Yeah. 
I don't need I don't need that. Yeah, I don't need two years. So you know, I I um I end up going to the other side academy, and it's the day after Christmas. We waited it out because, you know, um, we waited out Christmas because we thought that the other side academy wouldn't be open. Little did I know they would have been open. They're open twenty four hours, three sixty five, right? Yeah. Um, for anybody who wants help, and uh, I went there, and I remember sitting on the bench. Um, and I'm, I'm watching everybody like walk by and they have new shoes on, they got new digs. And I'm this guy who's like hyped up on this image issue. Like I, I I like Uh, to look good and I, but I have this analogy that I tell some of the guys that are like, that are like me that come into the Academy. And I'm like, you know, have you ever gone to Walmart or a beauty store and you buy a bottle of shampoo because it looks good on the outside? It's got a nice package, got a nice box. looks like it might have a nice scent. But then you get home and you use it and it's just complete crap. Yeah. I'm like, that's who I was. I was that crappy bottle uh-huh. of shampoo. And uh, I tried to cover up myself, the the, the bad stuff with all these mm. tattoos and muscles and clothes and yeah. the stuff that really has no relevance. Yeah. And um, and so I, I get dressed out at the other side academy and it was so humbling for me because I, I look at uh, – they give me the clothes that I got and I remember crying and I was like, this is not what change looks like. And I almost mm-hmm. left based off of the clothes that they were giving yeah. me. You're like, I'm better than this. I'm not wearing that damn t-shirt. And and who whatever. was I, these high water, these high, yeah. high water pants. And today I, I would, I would do it all over again and, oh. and nothing mm-hmm. in a robe if they asked me to. Yeah. And, uh, that was, that was my first humbling experience at the other mm-hmm. side Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had to deal with, you know, loss, while being at the other side academy, I lost my dad while I was there. Um, mm. And it was rough, you know, because in the early stages, I wanted to go back out there just to be the son of the year. Yeah. When in, in reality, like I had nothing to offer anybody. I had nothing to offer, you know, the world. And, you know, the other side academy is so great because they got, I got to go and spend some time with my dad when, when we got news that he was in bad shape and I got to go play some songs that he liked and tell some stories that he liked mm-hmm. and to just hang out with him for a little while. And, uh, I, I made a, I made a commitment to him. I said, I'm not here to, to apologize. I'm not here to say sorry for anything, but I, I'll tell you that I promise you that. And I had made so many false promises up until this point with my family. Right. I, I, I promise things are going to be different. Yeah. And when I get out of jail this time, I promise this. I pro- And it, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, for once I upheld a promise and I kept it with my dad that, um, I would, I would get my stuff together and I, you know, he doesn't have to worry about mm-hmm. me and he can be at peace. Oh man. And, uh, and I've been able to uphold that promise since. And wow. I'm so grateful for that. Wow. So. That's big, man. It's huge. And, wow. uh. And to have that closure with your dad. To have that closure. Yeah. yeah. He passed away the next morning and, uh, oh, I think it was gosh. just because I was able to be there. Yeah. Um, I know he'd be super proud of, yeah. of who I am. I've never, <laughs> yeah. you know, I just got engaged three weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank man. you. Congratulations. And, uh, wow. I bought the car of my dreams. Oh I have a gosh. challenger today <laughs> and I'm just so like, yeah. and, but that's the thing is like, I talk about like, I want to be successful and I remember praying that I want to be successful. But today I know that success doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's not. It's the not car the you drive, it's, it's, not, it's none of that. Right. It's the memories I have in my heart. It's yeah. what I feel in my brain. It's the yeah. connections that I have with yeah. other people. It's the, you know, the, the real friends that I have in my yeah. life today, the real relationships that I yeah. keep close to me. Yeah. So not to mention the impact that you're creating. Absolutely. That you, that you are creating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah right before I came here. So, um, I did some, 
jail presentations on on friday in davis county right and uh right before i came here uh the mail the mailman comes in and there was 13 letters from davis county jail from the guys that i presented to wow and it's so cool to be able to go go back and you know they're like they're like yeah this other program was here the day before but i want to go to you dude because i think that like it, i just speak so passionately yeah yeah. About the other side, you're a hell of a salesperson, man. Thanks. You are. Yeah. If well, I ever want to sell suits, I'll come talk to you. <laughs> well, and I think you you mentioned just uh, physical appearance, like you you know it's a podcast you can't see, but yeah, you're in great shape. You obviously put yourself together, and yeah. So I mean, I, yeah, I bet you kill it selling <laughs> selling a program or whatever. But I I do believe that I've been in sales my whole life, and if you if you're passionate about your product, you love it. Love it's, it. It's easy to sell. Love it. It's easy to sell because it's like you you believe with all your might, whatever, mm-hmm. that that other person should have what you're selling because it's so damn good. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, if it was about money, if it like it's not about money. Yeah. If it was about money, yeah. I'd go sell solar or I'd yeah. do something that. But yeah. this, the job that I'm in today gives me so much fulfillment. Yeah. Gives me so much joy, you know. We're about to have a, a graduation here in the future. I'm not going to yeah. drop the date in case yeah. anybody hears it. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, yeah. those graduations are so powerful for me yeah. because I get to watch somebody who comes in completely broken like I yeah. once was as a freshman. And then they become a sophomore and they get yeah. a green shirt. And then they're a junior and they get a blue shirt. And then they're starting to give the information that I've given to them. And that's the power in it is yeah. that you watch people. I can't keep what I have unless yeah. I give it to somebody else. Yeah. And that's the evolution of the other side academy Yeah, is people just helping people that have lived the same life and, uh, that relatability. I I just love it. It's incredible. Like, you know, uh, you know, our connection has been through our suited for good program and, and thank you for the shout out. It's not definitely not necessary. And, but the, uh, we've, we've outfit a lot of people and the other side academy has been by far and away, hands down our favorite organization to partner with because, there is something about what you're doing, something about the change. Uh, you know, you, I've heard you and I've heard other people talk about the, you know, overcoming entitlement of what you think you're owed or something. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is, but every person we've been able to outfit from the other side Academy has just, it's warmed our hearts. It's like, I don't know what it is, man. It's just, there's something about what you guys are doing and it's incredible. I, I want everybody to hear about the other side Academy and, and the impact you're having on our community, on on so many folks that are that have gone down a, a really difficult path, and again, dropping the judgments of why they're there, and understanding that they're human beings yeah. trying to figure life out. And I just think, yeah, I get I get emotional about it because I just think your impact is so tremendous, and and the the power that you have to then influence other people is just, is remarkable. I mean, my hat's off to you and, and every, every student I've met, every participant in the other side Academy is just an incredible, I appreciate that. BJ. Incredible example to, I just, I wish that was more of what our community at large could real recognize is this, Hey, we're all just trying to figure this out. Let's drop the judgment and yeah. let's figure out how to help people. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, that was a tangent. No, but. no, you're you're totally good. I appreciate the the kudos, dude. But I wouldn't be half the person I am if it wasn't for the leadership team that paved the way to get the other side academy started. And yeah. Joseph Grinney and Dave yeah. Drosher and yep. all the big dogs that that yeah. came out here to devote their life to giving guys like me a second yeah. chance. Yeah. And uh, you know, 
we get emotional and I talk about like that I was on that spiritual quest, but I think that when you look at redemption um, and the, the story of Jesus Christ, right? Like redemption is the greatest story ever told. And that's exactly what everybody at the other side Academy is doing. They're finding a way to, to redeem themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and, and when you do, it's, it's the greatest feeling in the world. And that's what human humanity is, right? Like we all screw up. Like how can we, how can we overcome? Yeah. Man. Oh man. Um, so you graduate from their side Academy. Yeah. You decide I was a student for four and a half years, four and a half years. So I, you know, I, if you would ask me in the first year if I yeah. was gonna if I was gonna stick it out, and if, if somebody would have came in and said, "Hey, you're off probation, you can bounce," yeah. I would have bounced. Dude. You'd bounce. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like this is a means to an end. Yeah, I got to get through this so I don't have to do. Dude, I hated the other side academy. The first Did year I was really? there, I couldn't stand it. Really? But I think that's that. You know, you don't change unless you're at the end of your comfort zone. Hmm. Change isn't easy. Yeah. If it was easy, every geek off the street would be doing it. I yeah. wish I could have just read, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective yeah. People and got my life together. Yeah. But it's not like that. Mm. You know, I wish I could have just did yeah. that. Um, uh. You know, and, and, it, and it, if it was easy, you know, they'd all be doing it. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. And uh, so I, you know, I stayed that, that two year at the time that I came, it was a two-year program. Um, and at 16 months, I feel like I started to make changes in my stay. And I, I was like, wow, I am somebody different. But I haven't really been giving it my all i was i was kind of a crap stick up until that point like i wasn't the model student yeah you were going through the motions yeah you were, you were getting by i was still talking about my past we, we don't talk about our past there yeah. i was talking about the women we're not supposed to pay attention to the women i was yeah. doing everything that i was everything i wasn't supposed to be doing i was yeah. doing at the other side academy yeah and so for the last eight months i devoted that change i devoted myself to making changes and in that eight months, I got more out of the eight months than I did the first 16. Mm. And so when they asked me if I wanted to stay longer, I finally made a mature decision in my life to say, I do need more help. I do need, mm. there's more change to be made. Mm. And in that third year, I got more out of my third year than I did the first two. And I got addicted to change, right? Uh, and so it, at the end of the third year, they're like, do you want to stay a fourth year? And, and so the, the statistics, if you stay a fourth year were like 92%, I was like, shoot, sign me up. Yeah. You know, Interesting. so I stayed a fourth year and at the end of my fourth year, Dave tapped me on the shoulder and asked me if I'd want to stick around and, and stay with the other side Academy as a, as a staff in training. Yeah. Um, and I, that wasn't my intentions. Yeah. I think a lot of people stay for shiny stuff and yeah. it's, that wasn't my intention. So I, yeah. you know, I stayed, um, I stayed just because I, I wanted to, and I wanted to give back and, um, and so, you know, I, I told him I'd get back to him. I came back to him the next day and I said, you know what? I'd love to stay with this organization. Mm. I, you know, you guys are giving me everything. Why wouldn't I want to give back and help other people? Mm. So the rest is history. I've been at the Other Side Academy for almost six years. The day after Christmas this year will be six years. Oh, my gosh. The day after Christmas will be yeah. six Dude, yeah. unfreaking believable. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, my gosh. So cool. So, dude, thank you so much for sharing. What, what an incredible story. And, uh, I mean, just the, the, the transformation, the ownership and the direction that you've chosen to take in your life. And like you said, it's not easy and, and you've done it and you're doing it. It's like, it's a daily battle, but what, so for our listeners, like what, what are some things, what, what's a take, what are a couple of takeaways that you'd like to, if somebody's listening to this and they've, they're in a spot that you've been in or, you know what I mean? What what are, what are a couple of takeaways that you would like people to hear? And maybe not somebody who's in your spot. I mean, yeah. What what are some takeaways? 
I, I wouldn't say it's a takeaway, but I just want, you know, people to know that they're worth it, dude. Like, mm-hmm. you know, at a time when I felt like I had nothing, I mm-hmm. felt like I had no worth, I had a no purpose, mm-hmm. and I just needed somebody to tell mm-hmm. me that. Um, and so if they are listening, you know, you're worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're capable of change. Yeah. Um, anybody is capable of change. If yeah. I can do it, they can do it too. Mm-hmm. But you got to start yeah. now, huh. you know. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I just hope that everybody's able to f- – it may not be a two-and-a-half-year program, right? Sure. It, it, maybe people can go to a 30-day program, a 60-day program, a 90-day program. Um, but if you've anything like me where you've been in and out of jail and you've been um, – just in and out of rehabs, you know, you should probably consider doing a long-term program because it was the greatest decision I ever made. Mm-hmm. Did it suck in the moment? Yeah, yeah it did, but I'm grateful for all yeah. of the trials and tribulations that I went through. And I just want everybody to know that if you're struggling out there, you know somebody that's struggling out there. You know, the Other Side Academy is hands down the best program in the state of Utah, if not nationally. Yeah. Um, and we produce well, real and leadership. Another, another location in Denver, too. In Denver. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Denver, Colorado and, and Salt Lake City, Utah. But uh, we have a 74% success rate for our students that just stayed the bare minimum of two and a half years uh, living a drug-free, crime-free, and employed life. And there's no other place that's, that can say that. You know, yeah. the Other Side Academy produces leaders. We turn boys into men and men into beasts, dude. And that's what it is. So if you want to be a beast, <laughs> come to the Other Side Academy. <laughs> I don't know how we finished better than that, man. I think it's, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm really touched by your story and uh, and just your uh, just your way of being, man. You're a light. You Thanks, you walk into a room and you're just uh, you're just a light. Thanks. Your uh, your your personality shines through, and uh, I can see why you are so effective at. Um, what you're doing with the other side Academy to help to saving more lives. And I just, again, I can't say enough about how much, how much I respect you, how much I respect your fellow uh, um, graduates and students and, and just fellow men. I mean, it's just, you're, you're an incredible, incredible example to me and uh, really grateful that you would take your time and share your story with us. Thanks so much, BJ. I appreciate you having me. All right, brother. Love you, dude. Thanks, man. Love you, too.